0: Hello, I'm Howard, and welcome to a special one-off podcast, as I interview the author of a new book titled The Cornerstone Collection, Sculpting the Premier League's Past, Present and Future, looking back at a selection of players and their stories that have made the Premier League what it is. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Stuart Quigley.
1: Good afternoon, Stuart. How are you doing? It's I'm so happy because, like, obviously, I get to talk about football for the next however long we're talking about it, <laughs> and... That's just brilliant. So whatever happens, it's a pleasure, it's an honor. And uh, um, one of the things in terms of like writing the book, writing the book was good, but we're getting to talk about it on various different mediums. This is fantastic. Yeah. And you
0: know, I'm missing some tennis at the moment, and I can't stand tennis, so this is... (laughs) I mean, I like all sport, but it's
1: way down the list, so this is definitely the better option of how to spend my next 45 seconds. It's not quite the summer of sport that we would have got had the World Cup been on right now, although, actually, I think the World Cup might have been finished by now if it actually started when it was supposed to. Uh, No, I think it was about, I don't know, it was about two weeks ago, I think, so... I think it started on June the 10th, so we might already be beyond when it should have been. Well... For England, maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is that. And
0: there may have been other teams still in it. There is so. that, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a weird season. But we'll, we'll talk about that at the end after, after the book. Uh, but we'll be interested in your views on what lies ahead, basically. Uh, so, But let's talk about the book first. So, basically, tell me about the book briefly and what made you decide to write this
1: book and, uh, yeah, what it's about. The book, as all good ideas begin with far too many adult beverages over the course of uh, an evening or two. Um, and I, I've told this story a few times, but I don't think I've gone as far back as this, which is to say, um, I do you remember the film Memento with Christopher Nolan and Guy Pierce? It's in my top five
0: films yeah. ever, I would say. So that would be a yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Just don't ask I, me to
0: describe the plot to anyone. So.
1: Well... <laughs> Like it's a, it's <laughs> you could describe the plot in a sentence, but the thing is, it's it's much more complicated than that. Yeah, and um effectively, as I said to you before, after a few drinks, for whatever reason, the word Prememento got stuck in my head. And doing the Premier League backwards, and for those that haven't seen the film Memento, it is effectively a film that is told in reverse order. And I was like, can you tell us like, can you do the Premier League backwards? And so we we did a podcast where it was like a one-off and it was um, game number 38 to game number one. Starts off as a very predictive podcast. Who's going to be at the top of the league at the end of the season? Who's going to be top goal scorer at the end of the season? What games are there in like 37, 38, 36 that are going to be relevant, prevalent, and you know, relegation, European, the whole lot. And then as you go backwards, you get into a more sort of Covering the Premier League as it is, when you get to the middle, you're about where the Premier League is, and then you get to the end, and you're doing the start of it, and like, oh, what happened at the start that now tells us how we got here. Yeah. So we did that once; that was great. And then the, the the following idea from that was to do it for all the seasons that have ever been done. So we go from the season we were in, which I think was 2018, 2019 at the time, and work backwards from there to 92, 93. And once you've done that, okay, we're enjoying this. We're having a few beers. What can we do now? And then the gaunt that was laid down. <laughs> what can we do in terms of the players? Can we tell the story of the Premier League to the players themselves? And then to make things even more complicated, can we do it in a way that we cover every club that's ever been in the Premier League? Mm. And when we did that season of the podcast, which I think was about three years ago now, in – I was so enamored with that process and with the teams and the players and the um, stories that we told that I thought this is a book, this is a story, this is something that needs to be told. And I didn't even pitch it until uh, about 18 months ago. And here we are now. And, and there have been some tweaks to it since because in that three years between the podcast and now, there have been some teams that have been in the Premier League that weren't before. There have been some players that have emerged and some stories that have emerged. So there's been a little bit of tweaking there from the original podcast. But it, it's so fascinating. When you dig deep into the Premier League, every team and all these different players, the, the stories are infinite. Yeah. So there's, so basically, it's split into sections. You talk about one player and there's 45 players
0: it is 45, is it not? It so, is, yes. Yeah. So, looking at the list, it is not the obvious list of the 45, say, best players ever. Yeah. How, I was going to say, if you even got a Blackpool player in there, but then I spotted Charlie Adams, so I assume yes. that's how Blackpool get a mention. Yes. How, I don't know how many Premier League players there have been ever, but it's going to be a lot. <laughs> Over a thousand. How did you choose which
1: 45 players appear in this book? Well, fundamentally, there were both then and now, you've got a certain amount of teams. I think it was, I think for the three year period that we're talking about, it was like 49, 49, and then Brentford made it 50. Yeah. So you go through the list and you see who you could choose from each club. And there's, for a lot of clubs, there's not that much leeway. And I think there are a couple of clubs that are genuinely going to look back at this list and who and why I've chosen for their particular club and be like, oh, man, why did you have to do that to us? But with the connective tissue of – you could, if you wanted to, just said, we'll do 50 players and we'll do one from each club and it'll be that specific. But I liked the idea of doing it in such a way that made every player that was in there have a specific purpose, whether it be their – sort of playing style or their um, importance in history or the things that happened because of them going forward. And once you narrow it down in terms of like, the teams that have been in the Premier League for one season, then you got that 20-odd that you can't really move from. And this mm. is a good exercise, I think, in terms of um, for anyone that wants to try, like try and pick whatever your 45 would be. Um, but once you break out of the teams that had one or two seasons and your, your narrow um, parameters as it were, then you get to a little bit of, there's a 20 or so players that you can have a little bit of fun with. And what I wanted to do, and there are players in this list and there are players in this book that are like the iconic players, but I wanted to look at them in a very different way. And I wanted to look at everyone else specifically just because no one else would. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. Seth Fabregas is in this Book for a, a very specific reason because his career is cut in half between uh, a period of time in which he was adored for the way he played football but didn't win trophies, and then he won a lot of trophies but was nowhere near as adored. Mm. Yeah, so essentially, it's not a stats book, is it? A stories
0: book and a book about connections. Is that a fair description of the book?
1: I like stats. And I think I would even now go so far as to say that I am a stats man and I like to base my opinions on the evidence of both watching the games, but you you can't watch every game and watch every team. So you have to dig deep into the numbers and see what's there. Um, But that being said, the stats don't, Ever and they can't ever tell the full story. So I'd like to think as well, I'm very much a football romantic. My heart is on my sleeve in everything that I see and do and and in regard to um, writing about football. So I I like the stories and the connections and and especially when you're talking about teams that don't necessarily get the uh, plaudits or, or even sort of magnifying glass on them that normally would. I'd like to go... Well, the numbers aren't ever going to be fantastic for them, so why are these players important to them? And yeah. that's the sort of area I was looking at. But am I right from you know, the bits I've read? If you choose an individual,
0: I don't know, Andrew Johnson is in there, you're trying to tell his story, but also a Premier... You're trying to do two things at once, is it? Am I right in saying, tell his story, but also tell
1: the story of the Premier League at the same time, using him mm. as an example? Andrew Johnson's a great one in the sense that um, he doesn't... And I don't think a single player does this because I don't think a single player can do this. He epitomises to a certain degree this idea of if you're an elite footballer, but you're not able to get onto the pitch because of injuries. Yeah. How, what is that? He played for various different clubs and he's not in there for this particular club, but he was at Fulham when Fulham got to the Europa League final, but he was in the stands that day and I can only imagine in terms of a pinnacle of a career how that might feel and one of the things I really wanted to do as well is that like all these footballers regardless of how good you think they are in terms of quality they're on a pedestal and I wanted to try and humanize them a little and for andrew johnson he i think he's still the record holder in terms of goals scored for a side that went down when he was at crystal palace <laughs> and his career almost went in reverse like the longer it went the worse it got and that's kind of, and and that's not his fault necessarily. It's just a, yeah. a just the things that happen to him. The the story that the, that follows him as he goes. Uh, he goes to Everton just at the time where you think it would be all good. And and, and Andrew Johnson's like, he, has, he it's not too bad with his career at Everton. Like he scores a winner against Liverpool in you know, and far be it for me to say that that doesn't happen particularly often. But like it's a remarkable moment, and yet at the same yeah. time. He never quite hit the heights that he could have originally. And also as well, like fundamentally things that I didn't discover until I was doing the research. So like, um, I don't even think this is in the book, but Andrew Johnson could have played for Poland and he chose to play for um, England. And he he tried to get that career on track. And and these are the stories. And uh, there's so much to fit into these Players in these forty-five chapters, because like I said to you before, like yes, they are footballers, and yes, they, they, there's there's a narrative like oh, you scored this amount of goals in this amount of season, but that's not that's not what we as fans see. It's it's more, yeah. it's bigger than that. Yeah.
0: So is there a theme that runs through the chapters, or a singular aim that when you, that you put it together, you wanted to achieve for this
1: book? The singular aim was to try and cover as much as possible. I. Have watched, and if you like consume football and you're a big football fan, it's very much a case of you get a steady diet of what's prevalent or relevant at the time, and that usually means the top two, top three, top four at any given time. In the late 90s, it would have been all about Arsenal and Man United, and whoever else was in the league, didn't really matter. In the mid 2000s, it would have been about Chelsea. And um, there's obviously, as you get towards the modern day, it's Liverpool and Man City and no one else. And I, I'm trying as much as possible to see what's under the surface there, because there are teams that have as much of a tale to tell. And I think one of the things I really wanted to emphasise is that everyone's in their own bubble and no bubble is better or worse than the other um, mm-hmm. There are, I'm not going to name a, a team here, but there's, there's a team in League Two that's probably going to say, we're the greatest team the world has ever seen. And I don't begrudge them that because the fans and the players and the story that they've gone on, like they may go on to, there, there might be a player in a team in League Two that will go on to do something special in a couple of years. And it's the connections between those players and the fan bases that, that really make football what it is and and i think as well there's there's a lot of things like modern football is terrible and modern football has issues and i get it i'm not so rose-tinted or naive to think that there aren't issues right now but i think that the, there is at its core the game connects more than it divides even though there are so many divides out there
0: yeah if you stay off social media, I think it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the curse of the modern world in a way. But there was, uh, from a city angle, the, there was a name that stood out. On, I'm not going to lie here. There is a chapter on, well, I've got to mention two players. Uh, I have to be careful not to t- go through the whole book because I have a tendency of doing this. <laughs> so I interviewed Brian Horton once, uh, last, about a couple of years ago, ex city manager, of course. Uh, his autobiography was out and I went through it with such forensic detail I think he said at the end half jokingly well there's no there's no reason for anyone to buy the book now you pretty much <laughs> covered it all <laughs> and I felt terrible afterwards I think it was one to 90 minutes but because I found it all so fascinating mm. and I was talking to an ex-city manager like I couldn't believe it really you know it's mm. like and I think I went a bit too far but there are two players that uh Obviously, you'd have to run through the chapter, but really... In terms of
1: naming who's in there, feel free to name as many that interest you. Go, yeah. There's there's two City players.
0: One will surprise City fans more than the other, basically. So I think it's a nice contrast. So the one that may surprise people that's included is none other than Wilfred Boney. So what made you put him in the book?
1: I think there is a very easy answer here. Oh. I'm gonna try and do this. <laughs> um, what as 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 sort of um, politically is not the right word, but it's the best word that comes to mind as possible. In terms of Swansea City history, yeah, there is a very specific player and a very obvious player that you would go, okay, yeah, he's the one that's more pertinent to their history, um, and also there are a couple of other names in there as well. But once this one specific player – and I'm going to like – this isn't spoilers, by the way, but once he got involved in certain legal issues, I had to scrub that name from the list. And then what you're left with is effectively Michu, which – it's a good story. I think it works out, out who you've scrubbed from the list. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Please continue.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that was the that was the plan. That was the original right. The name right. that was in the list when we did the podcast originally, and obviously things have happened since. But so when it came to who represents Swansea, so you've got you meet a good a good show. Um, Leon Britton is also a good show in terms of like he'd be the guy that takes them from. Um, League One, I think it was, might have even been League Two uh, until the Premier League. And then Bonnie spoke to me in a way that his story, is not specifically to Bonnie, but his story is fascinating in terms of it happens all the time, these players that come in, especially strikers, they hit a patch of form. And also as well, the time that Bonnie goes into Swansea, he comes into a Swansea side that have rose through the league's been written off when they get into the Premier League, done even well after that, and then won the League Cup. And Boney comes in at that point. So he comes in at, like, as far as you could sort of position it, the perfect time. And mm. then he breaks all sorts. He does all sorts. Like, uh, the the whole idea of buying players from the Dutch League has been an issue for Premier League teams over the course of its existence. And um, Bonnie coming in, he does well primarily because so much is going well around him and I like that idea of what telling the Swansea story of he's literally when he comes in it's about as good as it gets and then you've got you're slightly further they beat Valencia in uh, the Europa League body scores in that game and there aren't many clubs that you can name their pinnacle yeah and that is as close to naming a single 90 minutes as a pinnacle as you can get they've done all this and and then obviously there's a part of the chapter which is big clubs and especially I, I wouldn't say especially manchester city that's a bit wrong but like manchester city at the time you see a player that's doing really well loads of other teams have done it before loads of other teams will do it since and you're like yeah we'll have a bit of that and it doesn't work mm. that's just what happened and Boney, it's, it's really interesting as well, is that he's kind of the difference between or the split between, and you'll be able to tell me with um, uh, whether I'm completely like just walking on air here and chatting absolutely nothing. But that's the difference between City of old, and I say of old, I mean like pre-Pep essentially, of just buying players that were good versus buying players for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And when Pep comes in, it's like, no, we're not we're not doing this anymore. And and Boney's like unlucky with the injuries and the, the malaria, geez, and, and the, the period of time when he comes in. But ultimately it's a line in Manchester City history of like, we're going to go from being a good team with good players that does this, X, Y, and Z, to no, this is now the plan under Pep. Yeah. I, I, yeah, because I think he was like the top
0: scorer for the previous calendar year. Because he was a January signing one for City, yeah, that's correct. And it wasn't—I'll be honest—it was left field, and it was not popular signing with the City fan base. Mm. I think a fair to say, but I always try and look at the positives. And think, well, no, it gives us an options. He's a different type of player. He's powerful, and yeah, I think you've you've summed it up quite well. It was like one of those where you get burned, so you learn and you you change your tactics. The other player, and I think what I think what's sad in a way is, yeah, it didn't work out at City, and it kind of, that was it. You know, it was a, a downward slope for the rest of his career in a way. Uh, things don't work out, but it would have been nice if he'd gone on and found that success mm. again after City, uh, and it really derailed him. And to be honest, I'm not sure how bothered he was. <laughs> it's
1: not, well, it, it's like I said to you before, his story, his Swansea story, his career yeah. was to get to a point. Swansea had done everything they did to get to a point and it doesn't matter in the Premier League how many good decisions you do Um, and and I I will caveat this by saying that like there are clubs um, Manchester City, Arsenal, uh, Tottenham, the the top six effectively um, like Liverpool as well, you're allowed a certain leeway and I don't think in in a fair world, it shouldn't be like this, but Swansea aren't allowed to get decisions wrong. Yeah. And Boney goes, and Boney wasn't the only one to go. They had a lot of good players that came in at Swansea that, you know, you can't replace them eventually. And unfortunately for him, not only does he go to City and it doesn't work out for him, it doesn't work out. for So it's it's the kind of like the ultimate parting of the ways and certain players fit into certain teams at certain times. And, and that was very much for me when I thought, oh, okay, I can't do the player I was originally going to do for Swansea. His story, while not the most prevalent, is something that's happened to a lot of clubs all the 92 over.
0: Yeah. The other player is one, look back at more fondly, still sung about to this day, Edin Dzeko. Mm. his life I've not read the chapter in your book but his life story is of course very interesting was that part of the reason you included him
1: in the book Dzeko okay I'm gonna sort of clear out here and go big picture and I'll say this as someone that um obviously from a Liverpool fan perspective might come it might sound a certain way but I promise you it's not (laughs) and this is in the chapter. I feel sorry for Man United fans. I legitimately don't like. I can edit not in the, that out no, no, if no, you no want. Yeah. not, not, not in that way, but yeah. in a very specific way, which is to say that um, this is obviously before everything that's happened between our two clubs. But I, I think even within that, there is a certain element of football at its best. Football at its purest is. The ninety three twenty, and it would have been easy for me to write about Aguero, yeah, because everyone has, and uh, obviously I think Aguero for me goes down as probably one of the most underrated Premier League players of all time. Hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And. What I wanted to do, and and it's it's really bad actually on my part because this is sort of behind the curtain, as it were. Is that I sent you a certain amount of chapters, and I genuinely can't believe I didn't send you the Jeco chapter. That's that is a ball dropped on my part. Um, <laughs> and yet, what I when I say I feel sorry for the Man United fans, what I mean is that that sort of passage of play from probably about the the. the um, added time being given to the final whistle is as close to distilling the game of football as is humanly possible Mm. because winning the league is one thing. Winning the league in the last minute is another ladder in dialogue. Winning the league in the last minute against your biggest rivals is like (laughs) – even now, I still get sort of tantalisingly sort of on my edge in my seat because I remember when Dzeko scored that goal thinking, you're going to get another chance because that's how football works. <laughs> that's not how my mind was working yeah. at the time. No, but... I think as well, this is part of the Jekyll chapter as well, which is that like so much had happened to City at that time that typical City is... I know a lot of other clubs as well will say that this is part of their vocabulary as well, but I've heard typical city um a lot more. The 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 negative, oh this can't it can't happen. It's not gonna happen. Well all we have to do is beat QPR at home, and then when QPR get to the position everyone, it's like, oh of course, typical city. And then that that electricity, that moment, that cauldron of atmosphere in the circumstances, and ultimately you can talk about Aguero, and the Aguero goal is the Aguero goal. It's Manchester City's moment. I'm not even going to attempt to claim it. But for, for neutrals watching, that's mm. it's poetry. And you don't get the Aguero moment without the Dzeko moment. So I was very curious about that, And as well, like in, in terms of Eddie Dzeko, his careerful stuff, he won a league title in Germany before he came to you. He has since gone on to um, do some things in Italy in terms of like he was part of the Roma comeback against Barcelona. And part of this issue of things only matter when they happen in the Premier League, and if you're not in the Premier League, you don't count. I think Dzeko is the not necessarily definitive character for that, but he's very much a person that illustrates, no, no, if you're a good footballer, it doesn't really matter where you ploy your trade.
0: Yeah. It's confession time then. Uh, might lose me a few Twitter followers. Liverpool beating Barcelona 4-0. I didn't want Liverpool to beat Barcelona. And am I right in saying that the Tottenham Ajax game was the night after? With their... It was, yeah. Yeah. Now, I am one of those bitter football fans that doesn't want other English sides to do well in Europe.
1: So, no, I think uh... that's the correct way to do it.
0: <laughs> both matches, I'm like, oh, for God's sake. But you know what? Afterwards, the day after both those games, I went... Like, what you've just said that was football that was was, fair enough that is that is why we're football fans those Mm. two games look fair enough I mean it's just the most amazing sport and yeah it happened to another team and I'm probably bitter for that reason because we were in the (laughs) Champions League but you know what (laughs) still we're all football fans at the end of the day and to experience I, that, that's what it's all about and yes, I wanted them to lose and to do it in such a spectacular fashion, I feel bitter that yes my team weren't the one getting those amazing experiences but to be honest I've been spoilt in that respect for the last 10 yeah. years and yeah, and after those two games I thought, you know what, yeah, it's fair enough, I mean, as many football fans as possible should get to experience yes. nights like that
1: I've told this story so many times that I'm not actually sure it's true. I think some of the peripheral details definitely are. And if they're not, don't ask me because I want this to remain in my memory as it happened, or at least as I believe it happened for the rest of time, which is why do you love football? In Mm. Euro 2004, Italy were playing someone, don't know who. And I think it was Sweden, Denmark was the other game and Italy needed to win. And the other game couldn't be a draw. If it was a draw, Italy were out. Antonio Cassano, who is one of the most emotional characters in terms of Italian football of all time, um, ends up on um, a very late sort of chance. And as far as he's aware at the time, I think it was Denmark, one, Sweden, nil. Again, the details don't matter. But he scores a goal in the 90th minute that puts Italy through. Mm. He runs off with tears in his eyes. And as far as he's concerned, he's put his team in through to the next round of the European championships. And he's a hero in his country. He gets to the bench and someone informs him that there's been an equaliser in the other game. The tears are of a very different kind. That 30 seconds is football. And that's the Aguero moment as well. It's the, it can all all happen in a moment. A lifetime can be changed in a moment. And this is, I don't want to go to, I said to you before, I, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve in this regard, but like the, it's not just when you talk about the players, their careers and how like Aguero, if he misses that chance, if he follows it wide or if he doesn't, if it goes like Paddy Kenny, Jesus Christ, what, a, what a game he had that day. Yeah. But if he doesn't score that goal, his career, I don't think would be affected too much one way or the other. But having scored it, the lives and the feeling and the memory of those around them. Everyone in the stands, their lives are forever changed. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it.
0: One kick. I mean, yeah, the reputation of Mancini, the reputation of the other players. What would have happened the next season, scarred by not beating QPR? It's just astonishing. I mean, I've I've written a book myself recently and I tried, you know, a fictional about real events the eleven twelve season and I tried to answer that question within it because it's a fictional character trying to work emotions of being a fan of is football special? Do we as football fans are we just seen that way because we're obsessed about football? Because I love cricket but I don't love it half or even quarter as much as I like football it can never ruin my summer <laughs> cricket whatever yeah. happens it's not the same Lancashire not winning the league I'll get over it in a couple of days uh, and I wonder is football unique or we've just being biased because we're football fans because other sports give amazing moments and I can't really answer that there's something about football that does make it more popular and does make it unique but maybe we're biased as football fans that Maybe tennis does it as well. Maybe cricket I does think, do it.
1: I don't know. To be honest, I think sport at its very highest, in general, is a uh, far be it for me to go over the top here, but it is the human condition in terms of, um, and, and football is the extremist version. Is it the most extremist version. Like you mentioned um, being a Lancashire fan. I remember and keen eyed, keen eared even listeners to this were um, maybe pick up a, a certain accent or two, but I was at um, Hampshire for when Lancashire won the league hmm. a few years back. Yeah. Uh, no, I think we're talking about 2005, 2006, so, somewhere around that range. Um, Warwickshire were playing at Hampshire, Warwickshire playing Hampshire and Lancs were playing somewhere else and Somerset were playing somewhere. Basically it was a three-way sort of contest for the league. And, Warwickshire lost, and Hampshire. Uh, Warwickshire lost, and Lancashire won the league. And then it was not necessarily. It's never going to be as bad as football could be. And then the following year, Warwickshire won the league by relegating Worcester by beating Worcester at Worcester. So mm. it's the equivalent of your Aguero moment. Not only wins you the league, but relegates Man United. Yeah. And it's the the sport. Itself is high, but the but football is so tribal and so entrenched in. I, w- I want to say it's the culture worldwide, but there's something special about English football. And I don't mean to say like, oh, the Premier League is the best because I don't actually buy. I don't buy into the best league in the world. I think it's, yeah, uh, it's something of an anomaly. But what I do buy into it is that there's more fractures. There's more. Um, the best way I can illustrate the straight is thus. In the entire history of the English game, there have been somewhere in the region of, and again, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, so don't at me, like 35 to 40 winners of the English top flight. Yeah. In Spain, in Italy, in Germany, it's something like seven, nine, and seven, respectively. Yeah, We have so much history with so many other clubs up and down the ninety-two, and I think part of the book as well. I'd like to point out, it's not just about the Premier League. It's it's the like City yourselves, You know, it's it's the journey from League One up. It's it's everything. It's the highs and the lows, and like the Championship is the fifth most supported league in Europe. You get attendances in the conference of the like four 000, five thousand, which you wouldn't get in any second division in any other country. And Stockport and Macclesfield at the moment, like. Right. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's it's one of these things where everyone is, and it is tribal, and and there are times when that can go in a in a bad direction, as you mentioned with social media. But I just think, for the most part, it's communities. It's it's what they, it's what it represents. It's like the I can't effuse enough about this idea of a connection to a team and a, and a city and a culture. And and I said before about this idea that I don't come from um the city that i support but i have that connection and i've spoke to people and i love the people that i've met over the course of my football supporting life and and when i was a child um as i said before just randomly supporting a team for no particular reason that's changed that's different and um and the connections you get and, and the best way i can sum this up is that and you'll see and you'll know this yourselves is that when you go to the grounds and when you go to the pubs you see these players and you see these people and like you know there are people that i know that i don't know their actual names but i've Mm. seen them at their highest and i've seen them at their lowest and that's what football is
0: part of the family you know yeah yeah Yeah. Extend a very very extended family uh look i'm not going to go through the names but there is one name i have to just because i was listening to a clipper in the other day ben thatcher Mm. makes it in is it about... Does the elbow come into this? I was, uh, the
1: elbow is the chapter, effectively.
0: It is, yeah. I was yes. listening... Uh, I was doing a... Uh, well, I was doing something that's not out yet uh, for next season for the Blue Moon podcast. And the uh, David Mooney, who hosts it, played the clip of him afterwards talking about it. And, yeah, him saying he has no idea why it happened. What he did, it just happened. And... Yeah, I think I think David said he, he might not have played for us after that again either. So I think he did. He did, right. But I think It's he one did. of those I things where you watch it, but he himself doesn't know why he did it. He just did it and afterwards, obviously contrite, but there's
1: no going back then, is there, sir? So. I think – and one of the things that I want to try and emphasise is that there are players in this book where, boy, you can look at them and if especially if you're not a fan of the particular clubs that they played for, you can go, I don't like this person. I I don't like the team they played for. They are, insert whatever generalisation you think they're. In regard to Ben Thatcher, what I would say is I read and I consumed as much. And the weird thing about Ben Thatcher is, is that there's not actually as much information out there as, as what you would think. Yeah. The, this, this, the stories about what kind of person he was and I I don't want to go into them too much but effectively he was a character in the 90s which is to say that maybe he liked too many adult beverages and there were things there that in 2022 may have been addressed and I think that's part of the chapter as well. In terms of the Elba, there are two things here which is to say that a kind of, it's not my position, it's not my place to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I think there's an element of, and anyone listening to this may think I'm I'm kind of glossing over this. I, I promise you I'm not, but this is the crux of the chapter. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. This idea of 90s football, a diet, a steady, hefty, meaty diet, that Ben Thatcher would have been raised on, especially given that he grew up and played for Millwall and Wimbledon, mm. is you do something, you do whatever it takes. And I, as someone that I, I'm not actually, I don't think I'm that too different in terms of, I, I think he's slightly older than me. Um, I'm going to look it up now and he's going to be about the same age as me and we're genuinely depressed, but um, I think he's probably about 10 years, hopefully. But I think football upbringings, especially like during the 90s, is in this country, is, is something of a a, a backward step, a, 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 an idea of eras and how things have moved on. We talk about now um, footballers trying to express themselves and, oh, they can't get touched and uh, the diving and all this. And, yes, I, yeah. I don't disagree with this idea that diving is an issue. Diving is in the rules of the game against it. But so is a red card challenge. So is double footing. So is running into someone and absolutely cleaning them out. And yet one of them is seen as the worst thing in the world and the other one isn't. And I do wonder if, with everything that I've said in terms of Wimbledon, Millwall, and I'm not trying to label those. I'm not trying to disparage those clubs because I think a lot of clubs at the time during the late eighties, early nineties would have been very similar. And, and this idea that the best example I could give is the last man foul. So yeah. sort of someone's chucking back and you got to take them out and you've got to clean. Like it doesn't matter what the rules are. You've got to do it. And I think that's what happened to, um, Ben Thatcher, I think when he says, I don't really remember, I think it's an automatic reaction. I think it was, and I've used the word, I think I've said the phrase, I think about 15,000 times in the last two minutes. But what I want to try and emphasize is that the way football is taught and this idea of you can't let them go, you can let the ball or the man pass, but not both. He He went there completely. I wouldn't say innocent though, but he went there to do something And what he did, I don't think he was physically in control of. And everyone's done things where you just go, oh, I don't know why I did that. When you're asked asked after the fact, I don't know why I did that. The one thing I would say on top of all that, if you think I'm trying to absolve him, is that if that was a one-off, I I would give him the benefit of the doubt, it wasn't a one-off though.
0: (laughs) How many more times were there then?
1: He did it when... He elbowed, and I think he broke the jaw of someone playing for Sheffield United. He did it in a friendly, I'm not entirely sure. I think it might have been for Manchester City in a friendly in China. And I I, I can try and line the dominoes up in terms of he's a victim of circumstance. And I don't think that's what I wanted to do. But I think there's an element of, if you're saying to players in the 90s, especially, You can't let this happen. You can't let someone do anything. You have to put a foot in you. You know yourself. If someone puts a tackle in, the crowd go up for it. Yeah. And I think that's, I think there's an element of that's what he was trying to do. But you watch it, and it's because he's got a history. It's because there are other things there. And I, I think fundamentally, there's another, there's another part of, that and it's really interesting as well. I said before about the chapters that I sent you in terms of Man City um, uh, prevalence and, and not. And, and I was actually tempted to send uh, the Ben Thatcher chapter over in terms of like what happened or, or Ben Thatcher's. I wouldn't say legacy, but the difference between when he became a footballer, he was uh, I think one of the most expensive teenagers when he moved from Millwall to Tottenham, and then eventually went to Wimbledon. I think I've got that in the right order. But he was a highly rated player. And if he goes somewhere now, if he had a, a Pochettino at Tottenham when he goes in or a Guardiola or anyone, he, he doesn't become the same player. And the other thing about it is is that when you try and um, gentrify the game itself over the course of tickets are more expensive, the fans get further and further away from the players. And, you know, there's a divide there. There's a gentrification of the game itself. And yeah. Ben Thatcher is the one that sort of straddles that line. And Wimbledon, as a culture, straddle that line. And it's unfortunate. It's really hard to suggest as well. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. Roy Key admits in his autobiography, this is in the book, that he wanted to do half harland Yeah. Fine. Ben Thatcher does what he does. He's the biggest villain of all time. There is double standards on all sides here.
0: Yeah, because it is so rare that someone really goes out to want to hurt another player. And Roy, Roy Keane is the one who says, who
1: says it, admits it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is maddening to me, this idea that Roy Keane admits it, fine. Ben Thatcher, circumstances... As much as I can try and run one way or or work between the mentality or the other, not fine.
0: Yeah. And who knows what he meant to do, shoulder him, get it wrong. Yeah, Mm. you don't know, do you? Uh, Time has defeated us, but there is one question uh, before I talk about something else. Uh, Was there one player you enjoyed writing about above all others in this book?
1: Yeah. There are a couple. I'll try and keep this as brief as possible. Um, I quite enjoyed Jason Punchon in terms of he's a Crystal Palace fan, grew up. I mentioned before about this idea of having a connection to the club. He was in the Holmesdale stand ends as a youngster um, watching Crystal Palace and then scores a goal in the FA Cup final that... Never, no one will ever, other than Crystal Palace fans. Oh, actually, no, tell a lie. Um, you'll remember because it's the thing that prompted Alan Pardew to do the dance, <laughs> and they were ten minutes away from beating Manchester United, and, yeah. and and things go on there. Um, I really liked, and I'm not trying to say this to blow smoke, given the podcast I'm on. I? I really like talking about Zinchenko. I'm a huge fan. I love, I love, I love the idea of his story. And the streak, the streak intrigued me so much. And what he ends up being when his career is all said and done, I am fascinated by because he is as close to a perfect squad player. And I think he's better than that. But the team he plays for and the the level of um, competition that you've got at Liverpool and Manchester City right now is so high. he could run rings around everyone outside of those two clubs but uh, like I say I love telling that story and there's uh, what others are there van der
0: Just that's the discussion we've been having on podcasts for most of the summer it's like if he leaves how do you replace a player like that Mm. one who is a squad player who's good enough to play for the first team but isn't one of the best players but never moans about it. and is versatile. It's mm. and could easily have been lost in the system, but like yes. so many in the City Group do. Yeah, it's a wonderful story. So.
1: Without meaning to spoil the chapter about Zinchenko, but there is a direct parallel between Phil Foden and Zinchenko in terms of mm. one was destined to play first team football, the other one wasn't, and the fact that he has Zinchenko obviously, it's it, it's he played. At a time where you needed him the most, and he did the. I, I find it odd that fact, it's one of these things that certain players where oh they don't necessarily get the credit, but I don't understand how fans of other teams don't recognise what Zinchenko is and or does. Yeah. I think the know. other player I, I would mention because I at just said,
0: before Scotland the Scotland game. Oh, just yeah, yeah. I think It's it's, what his, it's,
1: yeah. it's his it's his leadership both in terms of. What he is as a person, as well yeah. uh, as 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 who, how good he is as a footballer, and that Ukraine side is is going to be, you know, it's, it's got a few years in it yet, and, and they're quite a young side as well. So I, I did mention this very briefly earlier. So I'm going to like, obviously, I as a Liverpool fan, I've been sort of quite being up Manchester City players and, and 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 towing the line, if you want to call it that. You but don't I, have I, to, don't worry. No, no, no. I just, I'm just saying. I, I, the, one of the other ones as well was Van der Sar. and yeah. all I'll say is this. The Man United side of 08-09 is better than the treble-winning side. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's
0: it is a good no, it's a great side, but yeah, I I would need to see them both lined up to decide. Well, I, part of the problem is I struggle with comparing sides even ten years apart because I think I think the game evolves. I think. Yes, you know what I mean. Right. Obviously I can't you can't well, it's, say it's, which is better than a nineteen sixty side or a nineteen ninety side. Actually the ninety side thing, would run rings around
1: the nineteen sixty side, but that doesn't
0: make them better in a way, does it? The,
1: so. uh, the one thing I would say is that and, and, the, and again this is very look, much of a crux of the book, I think Manchester City and Guardiola, I'm hoping that we prove this wrong, but um Eras have changed. You know how you used to get decades of dominance between certain sides? And Liverpool controlled this decade. Man United controlled this decade. Leeds controlled a certain decade. Um, Premier League era starts, you get 10 years of nothingness where things just adapt. And Man United just so happen to be the the controllers of that destiny because they win it early on. And they have the um, facility, commercial or otherwise, to to take on. And also like a ridiculous crop of talent. And, And then you get to Wenger. Wenger changes it and then Chelsea and it kept getting faster and faster for me and I was thinking oh era's done and the way Guardiola's Manchester City side are there is a possibility that you might be in the midst of one right just in terms of having a decade of dominance I I didn't think that was possible before I mean well
0: for for starters his contract runs out next year (sighs) They.
1: You've, what I mean, just to look Is it, how is it four titles to, out of six
0: now? Look, it's four out of the last five. Is it? Four, yeah. But look how close. I mean, look at the margins. Yes, it could be that. It may be in the future. But honestly, Chelsea is such a weird club. Who knows? They could. All <laughs> I will
1: say is this. I, I, we're not I, there I know, yet. If, I know four out not, of
0: five gives, gives that illusion of. All, of all I'll say is
1: this. Far be it for me to try and um, sort of. Put Manchester City on my shoulders and big them up even more. But all I say is, this. Mourinho walks into Chelsea in 2004, I think. He wins the league and then gets a record which will never be beaten, which is 15 conceded. Yeah. I thought, and I assumed the consensus was at the time that Chelsea would win the league forever. They are done. They are set, and it was broken quite quickly. Guardiola and City, I think they're not. They're not breaking the records and they're not doing that but winning leagues is as close this idea of I can't see who's going to beat that and the thing is is that there is a, a, a dynamic at the, there's a power dynamic at the top in terms of Liverpool Man City that wasn't there when Mourinho came in at Chelsea because they were able to just sort of take Arsenal Man United a battered themselves into pieces and Chelsea were obviously able to scoop up whatever else existed in English talent. But what I mean is, is that everyone thought in 06 that Chelsea would win everything yeah, and they didn't. Yeah. Whereas now I would say the presumption is that Manchester City are going to win everything. And it's more, it's closer to being correct than that was. That's all I mean in terms of errors.
0: Mm. I'm not yeah, I'm not convinced, but maybe that's my mindset of uh I'll say two two titles one by a point. Uh who knows? It depends how How many players we sell this summer? <laughs> 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 the 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 exit door's quite busy at the moment, yeah. So uh I, I I'm not convinced. Uh I think I, <sighs> We, as City fans, we take the mick out of Miguel Delaney who bemoans the future of football and it's anti-competitiveness.
1: It's competitive I, right I, now, but it, I don't know how yes. long that rests. Well, yeah, if City start winning
0: titles by 10 points plus over the next two seasons, it could also be how, how easily they do it, not just that they did it. I still, Correct, it's but still what very I think happens,
1: in the, in, the, in, the, in the medium term at least, yeah. what is going to happen is that effectively what happened last year a repeat of last year but maybe not necessarily a repeat of the results uh, and the uh, identity of the winners but it's we're both waiting to see this looming shadow of Newcastle and I know that if one of our two clubs are going to dip and one of our two clubs are going to challenge Newcastle it is unlikely to be mine
0: Mm. time will tell I don't think that dips coming yet Unless you prescribe to the burnout every three years, but I think even the city side has that in them because
1: Klopp signed until twenty. No, he said, yeah, the twenty-seven. I think. Yeah. Um. When Klopp goes, uh, let's just hope. Yeah. Not as far as the City are concerned. Let's not hope. But as far as I'm concerned, let's hope. But I think there is.
0: There is a, a theory that both City and Liverpool and the modern game, the intensity required from the players, you can have that burnout season.
1: Uh, I, I think both of us have had it to a certain degree. Yeah, we've had it, and I know, I know, it's, I, another I know, one will come. Another one
0: will come, and mm. especially if you dump a World Cup bang into another season. Oh,
1: this season is going to be fascinating. In the sense that I, think, I think that, that both... <laughs> I say this like I've got such an insight into the dressing room. Both City and Liverpool are, it's the sprint. It's who's top when we go to the World Cup. And a really interesting thing from a Liverpool perspective is that we play every um, top six side away before the World Cup, apart from City. We play City at Anfield. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, however, like, Leicester as well is a really interesting one for me because no European football and they're going to be able to like actually use the sprint method of see where they are. And I'm not suggesting that Leicester are going to challenge for a league, but just yeah. there are going to be certain sides that are going to have to use their resources wisely. And the idea that no Salah at the World Cup, no Diaz at the World Cup. I like the keeping things in the tank there as far as we're concerned. Mm-hmm. I think City had
0: similar last season, getting a lot of the the aways out of the way in the first half. I can't, I'm just thinking. I think, yeah, because definitely had... The other thing as
1: well, this isn't a bold call. Maybe United again
0: was the exception. Yeah, there was one Mm. that was the exception, but
1: it was a similar sort of thing, yeah. Uh, The other thing as well, as I was just about to say, I don't think this is like a bold call. This idea of the quadruple, one of City or Liverpool will be on for the quadruple for every year from Mm. now on. But I think, because you know, it's just it's just the way. It unless like the draw works in a very specific way. Because the Champions League, both sides are going to go quite deep in the Champions League. The league, it's going to be those two, unless something ridiculous happens. And the thing you have to forget, like you completely forget, is like Chelsea were supposed to be um, really hot for the Champions League, uh, not the Champions League. Sorry, the Premier League, um, up until a point where they just fell apart. Man United were <laughs> hilariously uh, title yeah. challenges last year, and. the the consistency and what has happened over the last five years between Manchester City and Liverpool will suggest that the league, the Champions League, And barring ridiculous draws, the FA Cup and the League Cup will all be in play for both sides for as long as they want. So this whole thing of like, I think um, when City won uh, the League Cup, I I can't remember what year it was, but it was the one where you beat Watford, like 16,000 nil. Um, That quadruple was on. Yeah. The quadruple was on there for quite a while. And I think that's what's going to happen from now on. It's just going to be, there was a period of time where everyone talks about the English team's dominance in Europe where there were certain teams, even though English teams were getting to the final, that you would think are slightly better. There is no doubt, and obviously I'm on a Manchester City podcast here, so I have to choose my words very carefully. There's no doubt that Liverpool and Manchester City are one and two in Europe.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I agree, I think. But they're not the European champions, but that's a, that's
1: a cup. Real Madrid are a, a ghost of a the side. They'll make you... I'll do some voodoo shit together. Like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Don't I've I did, know it, yeah. Don't I, I can know ta- it? Yeah. I can tell you what, like, categorically, that game against Manchester City, Real Madrid, the semi-final, I was, pr- if, if you'd won that game, I'd probably still be in a coma, regardless of what the Champions League final was. I did not want, I could not handle the prospect, let alone the game, of Manchester City in the Champions League final. Mm. And yet, oh, you should yeah, have beaten absolutely. them. You should have beaten them a thousand times out of a thousand. Yeah. They were poor. I don't understand it. I don't think it can be explained. In this book, by the way, the Derby 11-point uh, season with Robbie Savage, um, that'll never be beaten. That is more explainable than how Real Madrid won that game.
0: <laughs> yeah, but then again, it all comes back to well, that's football, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that's not why you love it. That's why, like, no, the things well, that happen. Yes.
0: As I say, some of the highs of have experienced, you've got to experience the lows as well. And that was just that was on my birthday as well. So <laughs> just just to rub it in, hey. Eh? That oh, that's bad. Yeah. Uh, One very final question. Is this the first book you've written? It is, yes. Has it
1: put you off writing anymore, or can you not wait to do another one? I could be here for about 40 minutes now. Um, There is a second book in principle, right, and uh, technically a third as well, and... The process has been a really interesting process, not least of all, because I gave the publishers a really ridiculous date of like, oh, I can do this. And then, oh, I really needed to do this. And, and trying to um, put everything together. And every time I looked at a player or a person or and a team and a, a chapter, it was like, oh, I've uncovered a little bit more that I'm trying to fit in here. So um, the research, and I think this is the, the beauty of football as I said at the start of the podcast is that there's always more whenever you dig under the surface there's always more than you expect and that's kind of uh, I, I'm so happy with it all and and yeah. I, obviously you've read a few chapters and like just being able to dig into other teams and see the not just the top clubs and their stories but everyone and um I mentioned uh, Dzeko and Aguero a moment earlier and, and being able to really dig into that. You know, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a moment in time, much like Sergio Canas for Brentford, much like um, without meaning to... It's it's not like Stan Collymore for Liverpool, uh, Newcastle 4-3. There are certain... Blackburn beating Man United. There are things that happened that you just need to go and... You've heard it all before, but you need to sort of really see it and examine it from a perspective of what would you feel like if this was if you were on the receiving end or if you were the other side of this. Norwich beating Bayern Munich really well, well back in the day. Um, Oldham staying up, having won three games in, on the bounce when Crystal Palace only needed a point. All of it, every club up and down the ninety-two. Um, I said like I'm a football ring romantic and I believe that every side gets their moment in the sun and I'm blessed enough that I've seen a lot of them and whatever it is, whoever it is and wherever it is, if there's football on, I'll watch it. And yeah. um, that's, you know, uh, the, the 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 driving force behind why I wrote what I wrote and why I will write what I write in the future yeah
0: well I've already read a few chapters but I, I loved it uh, it surprised me in a way uh, for very full descriptive and different to uh, other stuff I've read because yeah it's it's more again about the emotion the stories behind not just not just really got facts and what mm. happened uh, yeah it felt it was a, a very different and interesting book so uh, from
1: the small bit I read so just remind us the name and when's it out. Uh, It is the Cornerstone Collection. It is already out on Kindle. So if you are very much an e-reader, you can get that now. And uh, it is going to be out on the 10th of July, which may or may not be when, after you're hearing this, on sort of most book retailers. And also uh, Amazon will be fulfilling pre-orders from the 18th. So very much a staggered, it's like a first leg, second leg, and a third leg for no particular (laughs) reason. Um, Wherever you want it, you can get it.
0: Okay, brilliant. Well, good luck with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, good luck with the book and thank you very much. I was really enjoyed that uh, and how it has flown by. So thanks for going on to talk about
1: it as well. It's been an absolute honour and a pleasure. I love this. Thank you very much. So cheers.
0: Yes. I mean, we could talk for the next eight hours but mm. the sun is out so I'm going to try and enjoy it for a bit. It's such a rare occasion. So yeah, thank you very much Stuart. i say uh, do check out the book. Uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, i will put this show out uh steward before the uh, the 10th it'll be out in the next couple of days so yeah uh thanks for coming on good luck with the book uh thanks for listening everyone loads more content coming up on this podcast of course and the season will soon be upon us so until then take care everyone stay safe as always up the blues